Years ago, a man from our church who is a golf instructor, I don't want to say pro, he is a very good golfer, but he's, a, he's an instructor and teaches and helps so many people with their game. He invited me to start playing with him once a week, and um, I said, well, I can't commit to once a week, but, you know, maybe a couple of times a month we can play. And so one of the first days out on the course, he said, the reason I invited you, he says, we played in a tournament together, and he says, I kept my eye on you. He says, you're a lousy golfer. I go, well, I know that. I mean, I just enjoy being out with the guys. I enjoy being out and, you know, the walk. I enjoy the golf course. I especially enjoy the hamburger and french fries on the turnaround, you know. And uh, he goes, but you could be a good golfer. And I said, no. I said, you know, I've never. He goes, you just have some bad, bad ways of swinging the club. And I said, really? He goes, yeah. He says, you have some bad ways of thinking. And so we played that day, and I played one of the worst games of my life because he was deconstructing my thinking about the whole game. Now, you got to know, I have played on some of the most exclusive golf courses in the world. I have gotten to play in places that I've called people, and I go, you won't believe where I'm at. You won't believe where I'm standing, you know? And And on every one of those courses, you know, I did okay for me, but it wasn't good golf. And now I was doing terrible on a wide open course that even you could play on, say, in the fairway. But he totally deconstructed my thinking, and he said to me, he says, Pastor, you're looking at the wrong thing, you're believing the wrong thing when it comes to this game. And I want to tell you who and what you listen to will shape your life. Who and what you listen to will shape your life. It will shape not only how you live, it will shape how you think, it will shape everything about you. So you got to be careful about who you're listening to, and you got to be careful about what you're listening to. It's the reason I ask you after every message that I preach, go home, build your devotions around these sermon notes, and see if this is what God's Word is saying. You know, don't just take my word for it, because I'm, I'm always asking the Lord, help me to be faithful. And even this morning, there were some folks praying for me before the service, and one of them prayed this way. They said, Lord, help pastor to say everything he needs to say, and nothing less but nothing more than he needs to say this morning. And that's always my prayer when it comes to preaching the Word. Now, when you start thinking differently, you're going to find out that like golf, it's difficult to change your thought patterns. It's difficult to change your life patterns. Matter of fact, it is easier to change some of your physical habits than it is to change your mental habits. It's easier to change some of your physical habits than it is your spiritual habits because behind every behavior that defeats us in life, we have believed a lie. For instance, one of the things that he taught me was was stop trying to avoid the problems on the golf course. I would try to avoid the trees. I would try to avoid the sand traps. I would try to avoid the water hazards. And he said, stop doing that. He says, forget the hazard is even there. And I said, well, that doesn't even make good leadership sense. He says, pastor, 
If you led the church by trying to avoid every problem rather than keeping your mind on, and he just called out our mission statement to me, celebrating God's love by persuading people to become passionate followers of Jesus Christ, he said you'd never celebrate because you'd always be worried about the problem. You'd never persuade anybody because who wants to be around a person that's worried about problems? He says, therefore, there would not be any believers because you were believing more in the problem problem than you're believing in the pen on the green. Well, I had never had anybody preach a golf sermon to me before. Well, that was pretty good, wasn't it? Nothing more, nothing less. I mean, he said it all right there. And so it's very difficult sometimes to change our thinking habits because, well, sometimes we've identified with those thinking habits. I'll never succeed in life. I'll never be financially secure. I'll never have a good marriage. My children will never love me. Sometimes we find our identity there. Sometimes we find security there. Well, that's just the way God may be, or that's just who my family is. You know, that's the way the Clantons are. That's the way the Smiths are. You know, sometimes we find security in believing a lie because if we believe the lie, then we don't have to press forward in faith. If we believe the lie, then we don't have to press forward going, all things are possible through Christ. Can you say amen to that? Now, I didn't say those words. I just repeated those words. Jesus said those words. Jesus said, with people, some things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Last week, as many of you I could remember or that you wrote it down, you know, not to toot my horn here, and, but just to be faithful here, I, I prayed every day for you just like I promised I would. And as I prayed, I was believing God for miracles in your life because all things are possible in Christ. The Bible says, and if you'll stand with me out of respect for the word of the Lord, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 24, Yes, you must be a new and a different person, holy and good. Would you read that out loud with me? Yes, you must be a new and different person, holy and good. Look at your neighbor this morning. If you know them, don't scare somebody you don't know. But if you know them, look at it. And look at me. Now, first, look at me. Say it with passion. Don't go, you must be a different person. Nobody's going to believe that or else they're going to go, I'm going to move a little further down the pew here. <laughs> I mean, say it with some passion. You must be a different person. So tell them. Now, what kind of person are you supposed to be? Holy and good. Now, look at that person and say it again with passion. Now, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Husbands, this is not a time to preach at your wife. Wife, this is not a time to lecture your husband. Say it with love. You must be holy and good. I don't know who just did that woo-woo, but I like that. You see, holy is patient, it's kind, it's loving, it's self-controlled, it's temperate. I mean, don't we want to be those kind of things in our lives? Look at this next passage. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Anybody ever been there? I have, hopelessly confused. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which was corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, now look at what he says about that sinful nature. You're going to throw it off, so it has something to do with your thought life. 
Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Say that with me. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. One more time. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy, truly good, truly loving, truly pure. I want to be like God. Amen? I mean, I will never be God. That's no surprise to any of you. But this might come as a surprise to some of you. You won't be God either. (laughs) Okay? But you were created in His image. You and I were created to be like God. Can we give Him one more hand of praise before I pray? (laughs) Hallelujah. Lord, I pray that every stronghold, every lie that has captured our minds, everything that we have believed that is not of you, I pray that it will be cast down this morning. I pray that you will set us free, and I pray that you will do a work in our lives that God will literally astound us. And Father, I pray for those of our family that are watching online today. I pray, Jesus, that you will just draw them into your presence and that they will sense what you're doing here, there with them as well. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Years ago, Becky and I, this was not long after we'd been married, Becky and I were hiking in the mountains, and we found a fire tower. And so we thought, let's go up and meet the ranger. We didn't know any better. Let's go up and meet the ranger. So we went up the fire tower. We got to the top, way above the trees, on top of a mountain, and there was no ranger. And uh, that surprised me. So I tried the door, and I opened the door, and I said, let's go in. She goes, we shouldn't go in. I said, let's go in. And so we went in, and there's a little kitchen, and there's a little bed. And I looked at her and smiled. She goes, not in your dreams, buddy. You know, thoughts just, here we are on top of the world, looking down on all creation, you know, and she read my mind. Sometimes, if you're not careful, people read your mind, and sometimes if you're not careful, the enemy will read your mind. But here we were on the top of the world, and it was a whole different perspective. Well, I talked to some rangers later about that, and they talked about the perspective you get from up there and being able to see fire and wisp of smoke and why it's important to be able to look down on the problems rather than be down on the ground beneath the problem. Years later, I'm studying in Jerusalem and I go up on one of the towers on the walls of Jerusalem and I was amazed at how far you could see and what you could see. And I remembered the story of Nehemiah. When Nehemiah's enemies were attacking him and attacking Jerusalem, and there were people that tried to get him to come down off the wall. If, if this little platform here could be the wall, they were saying, get down off that wall. Get down here. Stop building that wall. And Nehemiah's just his reply was, why should I come down to where you're at when God has given me this great work to do? You see, the enemies were trying to pull him down and get him to stop building and get him off the wall. But they scared the people of Jerusalem. And so what Nehemiah did was he armed them. He gave them a trowel in one hand and he gave them a sword in another hand. And he says, 
You know, we got to continue to build a wall. we got to get the height up where we can be protected from our enemies, but we can see our enemies from a distance where we know what's going on beneath us. And Charles Spurgeon would take that later and name a paper that he published weekly called The Sword and the Trowel. You see, your perspective in life really matters. Your thought life really matters. The Bible has a lot to say about your thought life. Not just the words you speak, but how you think. For instance, the Bible says, as a, as a man or a woman thinketh in their heart, so are they. The Bible says that pleasant words or pleasant thoughts bring healing to our bodies. The word of the King James was bones, and most of the modern translations, it says health. But if you're ever reading the King James or New King James or New American Standard, and you read bones... Bones is the, 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 the way that they refer to our inner health, our inner being, our mental health, our mental being. So he says those pleasant words that you speak. So if you're speaking words of fear and anxiety, if you're speaking words of worry, then the way God created you, there's a chemical in your body called cortisol that washes over your nerves and your body, and it's to help you in dangerous situations for fight or flight. Now, the problem with cortisol is you weren't meant to have that all the time. And cortisol can cause all kinds of other health issues in your life. It can cause all kinds of other mental health issues in your life. And so if you live with a stronghold of worry or anxiety, you, you live with a stronghold of negativity or stronghold of defeat, then you limit God's ability to use you and you limit your effectiveness in life as a husband or as a wife or as a father, as a mother, as a member of this congregation, as a member of our community, you, you limit yourself. And so it's important because the Bible says that in the tongue, you have the power with speech and with thought to build up or to tear down. And I think that's why it's so important when we think about prayer in the Spirit, where the Bible tells us in the book of Jude to building up our faith, our most holy faith, by praying in the Spirit. We don't pray with negativity. We pray with faith. Because as Jesus said, all things are possible with God. And as we do that, our faith increases. As we read the Bible, our faith increases but it still takes time, and it's hard to change those habits and patterns of thinking because our mind goes right to them. When we get frightened, and I felt it on the golf course, we get to a certain place. I had learned how to avoid the tree. I had learned how to avoid the water hazard, but it was never a good shot, and sometimes it didn't work, but it lowered my score, and it made me, it made other people have to wait on me who thought differently about the game, who played the game differently because they were doing what Bob said. They weren't even worried about the hazard or the tree or the trap. Their mind was on the vision. Their mind was on the goal, and they played for the goal, whereas I was playing for the problem. So it's important, again, not only how we talk to ourselves, but who we listen to. So the first thing I would strongly urge you on the authority of God's Word this morning is listen to Jesus. 
Listen to the words of the Lord. Be very familiar with the gospel. Our world is full of fake lies and fake truths, and you don't know who to believe anymore. But you can trust the word of the Lord because it has always stood the test of time. It has always stood every battle and it stood every trial. Listen to James, excuse me, Ephesians 4.21. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. Now that's an interesting way. Circle that fact, learn the truth. Learn the truth. Circle that in your outline. Because Jesus will always tell you the truth. Jesus will tell you, face the facts, face the truth. When I talk about, and I texted with someone this week that is dealing with some anxiety, and I said, speak to yourself with pleasant words and pleasant thoughts. Speak the word of God to yourself. It's not that we ignore what the doctor said. It's not that we ignore what the financial advisor said. It's not what we ignore what the counselor said or what the school said about our children's behavior. We face the facts. Well, what is the truth? The truth is that every one of us are imperfect. Look at your neighbor again this morning and say, you're not perfect, pal. Some of you took just a little too much pleasure in that. Okay? Now you look at them and tell them, neither are you, bud. <laughs> you see, we're all flawed. We're all broken. We're all scarred. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all imperfect. The Bible tells us there's only one who is just. There is only one who is perfect. There is only one who always does right. And he happens to be your heavenly father and my heavenly father. And he loved us so much that he sent Jesus Christ to save us from our sins and adopt us as his born-again children this morning. Can we give him another hand of praise? Hallelujah. So to think differently means that I'm not just thinking positively. I face the facts. I accept the truth of who I am, and I stop believing the lies of the devil. Because the most loving thing, listen, this is important, the most loving thing that I can do, my watch thinks I'm having a heart attack. <laughs> I'm okay. Between Becky and my watch, it is not <laughs> The, um, The most loving thing you can do is to face the facts. Most loving thing you can do for yourself. The most loving thing you can do for your family. The most loving thing you can do for God is to face the fact. Now, if the doctor told me I had cancer and I just went, I don't have cancer. If the doctor told me I had heart disease, and I go, I don't have heart disease, and I don't tell Becky, and I don't tell my children, and I believe a lie, then I'm doing something very unloving for my family. Back when I was so sick, a man, and I've never told you, that I've never even told Becky this story, so I may be in trouble since I don't see her in here, but there was a man came in and sat by my bed and just said to me, he said, 
listen, don't put your family through all of this. You remember those three years, five major surgeries? He said, don't put your family through all of this. Set them free. Go ahead. You can die. I'm going to tell you, that got into my mind. That got deep into my spirit. Not that I believed it, but when you're weakened with disease and you're weakened with infection and you're weakened with all the surgeries that you're having and you've already had the doctor tell you you're not going to make it anyway and you have someone come in and tell you this is the most loving thing you could do for your family, that would have been to have believed a lie. Now, it may have been true. Listen, listen. It may have been true to the people who believed the lie. But when you stop trusting God, immediately you're going to go into self-defeating and self-destructive behavior to face the fact that I have cancer, or I have kidney disease, or my savings are almost gone, or I'm going to lose my job. To face the fact is the most loving thing you can do for yourself. It's the most loving thing you can do for your family. But to face the facts with God and say that there's honey in the rock, there's manna on the ground, there's water in the rock, Jesus has always made a way, and he will continue to make a way. That's the most loving thing you can do for God. He always makes a way. So the first thing I'd say to, to begin with is we've got to throw off that old sinful nature. We have to commit our lives to Jesus Christ. We have to accept that what he did for us at Calvary is real and it's lasting. And as I said yet last week, it's not just that we start having a new thought life, but we become brand new people in Jesus Christ. We are not what we used to be before Christ saved us, forgave us of our sins, and gave us a brand new start in life. I'm a new creation. I've been born again. So are you. Throw off your old sinful nature your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. In other words, he's saying, you've got to, God will save you, but then you've got to throw off that old way of thinking. You've got to throw it off. That's what Paul was struggling with in Romans 7. Secondly, he says, put on your new nature. Because when you put on your new nature, in Ephesians 4, 24, you put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and truly holy. Now, you may be listening this morning, or you may even be in this building, and I've had this conversation so many times, I can't tell you, I couldn't begin to tell you how many times. I wish I'd kept a record of them. But people that have never crossed the line and given their lives to Jesus says, oh, I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven. None of us are good. None of us are. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If we were good people, God would have never sent his son, Jesus, to die for us. There was a problem in our life. The problem is our sin. Jesus came and took our sins upon himself so that if we put our trust in him, our sins could be forgiven and we could be given a fresh start in life. As a matter of fact, the Bible says this in 1 John 1.8, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves. We're believing a lie and not living in the truth. And occasionally somebody says, well, if, if God doesn't like it, I can just go to hell then. And well, Unfortunately, that's what will happen. But there you've believed a lie if you think that hell is going to be partying with your friends in paradise. Hell is not paradise. 
Jesus describes it as a place of intense suffering, a place of, uh, of fire, a place of burning, a place where the suffering never ends. Don't think for one moment that your philosophies or the things you're believing, they're like those false floors we talked about last week. God doesn't want you to perish in your sin. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. God, our Savior, wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. You can understand the Bible. You can understand the truth. He wants you to be saved. So how do you find the truth? You find the truth in Jesus. It's why I said, read your Bibles carefully. Get familiar with the Gospels. You find the truth in Jesus, and you find the truth about Jesus in the Bible. Look at this next verse, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture, that's Genesis to Revelation, all Scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach me, teach you, teach us, what is true, and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. And God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I have an app on my phone called All Trails. And when we're hiking, I can pull up All Trails, and it tells me my elevation, tells me the names of the mountain peaks around me. It's, it's a very, very cool app. And on vacation is typically when I get to use it most. And and I really love it because if I get off the path, I pull up the map on all trails as long as I have an internet connection. And that has happened. You know, I wouldn't recommend it for where there's not internet. But as long as there's internet, I can find my way back because, it sh listen, it shows me where I got off the path. And then it shows me how to get back on the path or back on the trail. See, God's Word shows me which path to take. That's what we just read. God's Word shows me where I got off the path. God's Word shows me how to get back on the path. And then God's Word shows me how to stay on the path. Now, here's the thing about the path. Jesus says that the way that the world is following that leads to destruction, it's broad, it's wide. And there are a lot of people walking that path. But the path that leads to life, the Bible says, it's like these trails that I hike in the mountains. It's narrow. Some of those trails you have to go single file on. They're so narrow. But God's Word shows you how to stay on the path. Can we give Him a hand of praise for that this morning? So God's Word corrects our thinking. Secondly, We've got to welcome the Holy Spirit's renewal in our life. Now, God reveals himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've talked about the Father and the Son this morning. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit for just a moment. One God, but he reveals himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, let me just be a little pastoral this morning for a moment, okay? You are not what you think you are, but you are what you think. Let me say it again. You're not what you think you are, but you are what you think. You are not a loser. You are not defeated. You're not overcome. You may have cancer. You may have lost your job. Ford was doing some layoffs this week. You may be worried, but you are not a loser. And you are not abandoned, 
and you are not forgotten. Jesus has promised to never leave you, to never forsake you, and the body of Christ will never forsake you or abandon you either. Can you say amen to that this morning? Now think about that. So you are, however, what you think. So it's important whose truth, whose message are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the message of the enemy or are you going to believe the message of Jesus? Are you going to believe the message of the Democrats or the Republicans or the Independents or the Greens? Or are you going to believe what Jesus has to say about you? You see, thoughts determine how you feel. That's the reason the Bible says that you need to speak to yourself with pleasant words. You need to speak to yourself with the words of God. Your feelings are determined by how you think. If you want to change how you feel, change how you think. A psychiatrist friend that was the head of the mental health department for the state of Montana, a friend of mine, told me, he said, Dennis, it's absolutely amazing. People that should be in pain because of their thought life, because of their faith in God, because of how they live their lives, he said they've had every bone broken in their body, but they feel they experience no pain because their minds have been so renewed by the word of the Lord. He said other people, they have nothing wrong with them physically that we can determine. Now, this psychiatrist is not a psychologist. He's a medical doctor. He said there is nothing wrong with them, but they're in constant pain, and it's all because of the strongholds that have captured their minds. What we looked at last week is a stronghold in the Bible is where the enemy captures your mind and you begin to believe and you begin to react and you begin to respond to a lie that the enemy has planted in your heart rather than believe what God says about you. You were created to be like God. You were created to be good. You were created to be holy, which is loving, peaceful, patient, kind. And God will do a miracle in your life today if you'll only allow him. Can we say amen to that as well? So how do you change your mind? There's an interesting Greek word called metanoia. Metanoia just simply means this. If I'm going this way, I change my mind. Metanoia means I change my mind and I repent and I start going the other way. You see, repentance is to change your mind. Oftentimes when I'm in this sanctuary and I'm walking around the sanctuary, I'm praying, I'm walking back and forth, literally sometimes I, I, the scripture will come to mind or I'll sense the Holy Spirit impress something on my heart and my body just physically responds like this. It's like I'll stop and I'll think and I'll quote that scripture, I'll think of it and all of a sudden it's not a conscious thing, I just turn around and start walking the other way praying. It's because we're created body, soul, and spirit. And my body wants to respond to the change of thought pattern. And it's without thinking, I change my mind, and I start walking the other way. And one day when that hit me, I realized how important this whole connection is. Jesus doesn't just save souls. Jesus saves people, body, soul, and spirit. Can we give him a hand of praise this morning? Mm. If my Apple Watch could read me right now. 
Because what this says to me is so powerful. My belief in God's word opens myself up to not only the miracles of God, but it opens myself up to the peace of God that passes understanding. Passes understanding. Please hear this this morning. Peace that passes understanding. When I change my mind and I'm born again, suddenly something miraculous happens in my life. I become a brand new person. My prayer life changes. How I pray, what I pray, what I want in life changes because there's been a change of mind. I no longer seek to be, a, to be served, but I want to serve. I no longer seek to take, but I want to give. I want to be like my father and not like the devil. I want to be like Jesus. Can somebody say amen this morning? And it changes our mind. So it's important because if we have got our identity involved with negative stinking thinking, if we have found security by saying, you know, this is just how my family is, if we've just said, I'll never change, we have believed a lie of the devil. Let me give one more personal illustration. Last year, my prayer partners have been praying with me. I, my heart and mind has been under severe attack. Things from my past and health and fasting and praying. Becky's been praying with me. Nightmares that get me up in the middle of the night going way back. And this week, preparing for this message, I had another one of those nightmares where I just wake up and I'm pouring sweat. And I'm laying there and I went, I know the devil has no authority over my mind. But everything I just dreamed was a lie. And he is the father of all lies. So I got up so I wouldn't wake up Becky. I went and took a cool shower, dressed, went downstairs. It was like 3 o'clock in the morning. And I just began to walk and quote scripture. Now that dream is vivid. I can see it in my mind. We're on our way to have dinner with our former district superintendent that called and wanted to have dinner with Becky and I and his wife. And so I shared the dream with her, and she looked right, and she says, Honey, you know that's a lie from the devil. But see what happens. Sometimes something so connected to what we were and who we were, there's so much identity there that a thought or a lie can get into our heart and we wake up like that and we get petrified. But for me and for you, it can can become a moment of overwhelming victory. I'll say it again. I am what I am. I have what I have. I've accomplished what I've accomplished, not in my own strength, but because of the faithfulness of God. God is always faithful. Amen? So changing your thinking life, it's a choice. It's the beginning of change. It's difficult. Look at what C.S. Lewis said in his book, Mere Christianity, and then I'm going to make one comment and close. God can show himself as he really is only to real men. Now, you've got to remember in those days, that's the way people wrote. That's men and women. And that means not simply to men who are individually good, but to men who are united together in a body, loving one another, 
helping one another, showing him to be one another. For that is what it's that is what God meant humanity to be like, like players in one band or organs in one body. Consequently, the one really adequate instrument for learning about God is the whole Christian community waiting for him together. Look around this sanctuary this morning. Those of you online, imagine what would happen if all of us together begin to think God's thoughts after Him. If we begin to confess what God's Word says after Him. If we begin to believe the truth of what Jesus said, and that's how God has always intended it to be, and that's why since the days of Moses, God has been saying to His people, come together to worship me. You are one. And those are the words that I shared with Governor Whitmer in Lansing when she asked me, why is it so important during COVID that the church meet and worship together? Because God calls us together. We are more together than we are apart. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? So, yield daily to the work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm out of time because I really do want to pray with folks this morning. You can't let this, this can't happen without the work of the Holy Spirit. It just, it, it can't happen without the work of God's Spirit. I just finished a series on midweek service. In Zechariah 4, 6, I spent a lot of time with, it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my Spirit, saith the Lord. So here's what I want to know, and you can go ahead and put the growth work up because I'm done. We're going to pray. How badly do you want this? How badly do you want to think differently? How badly do you want to think God's thoughts? How badly do you want to be healed? How badly do you want to live as an overcomer? How badly do you want to have the mind and the attitude of Christ Jesus had? How badly do you long for a move of the Holy Spirit in your life? How are you longing for this? Because if you're not longing this, as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul pants after you. If you're not longing for this the way David longed for God, your experience will fall far short. But if you're longing for renewal, if you're longing for healing, then this morning, friends, I would say to you, Get into the waters while they're being stirred. There is a miracle waiting on to you today. Can you say amen? Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you, and then we're going to have a time of prayer around this altar for those who want to be prayed for. I'm going to ask those that are going to help me pray this morning, our pastors and our board members and their wives, to come on down front. Jesus, we ask you this morning that you'll help us to have a change of heart and change of mind. To be born again doesn't mean we just live with sins forgiven. It means that a whole new wide open door has been opened up to us. A new life, a new peace, a new power, a new way of living. Lord Jesus, we've been made more than overcomers through you. So I pray that, Lord, there will be even on the parts of Christians, repentance of how we think. I pray strongholds this morning will be cast down, that we will stop believing the lies about ourselves, and we'll start believing the truth 
of who we are in Christ Jesus. And Lord, if we've never crossed the line before, we'll stop believing the lies that we're good enough to stand in the presence of God without what Christ did for us at Calvary, that we'll have a change of heart and mind and say, Jesus, I believe in you. And so if that's you this morning, you've never crossed the line, would you just pray this prayer with me this morning? You say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm not good enough to stand before you without what Christ did for me. I have a change of mind this morning, Lord. I repent. I want to follow Christ. I want to be a passionate follower of Jesus. So thank you for forgiving me of my sins and my iniquities. And I ask you to be the master and the ruler, the Lord of my life. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. If you need prayer for anything this morning, I don't, if, whether it's healing, your finances, your thought life, if you need prayer for anything, guys, if you'll step on down and just face the congregation, if you'll come on down front and let somebody anoint you with oil and pray for you this morning, there's people all across the front of the church. If you're going to leave, I ask you to leave very quietly, but we're going to worship the Lord. You're welcome to stay. But come on down right now, and, and I'm going to pray with you as you receive prayer this morning. Hallelujah. If you're sick, the Bible says, by his stripes, we've made whole. If you're anxious or worried, Jesus says, not only don't be anxious, but he says that his peace that passes understanding will rule and keep your hearts and minds. If you've lost your job or your finances are not what they should be, and you're beating yourself up saying, you know, I'm never going to be financially successful. The Bible tells us if we put God first in our life, He'll open up the windows of heaven upon us. The Bible tells us if we'll sow, He'll pour back into our lives. But you've got to change your mind about how you use money. And if you've lost your job this morning, remember this. God may just have a change of location for you. God may have something brand new for your life He wants to do. So trust Him for that. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us today for Woodland Church and our YouTube channel. I hope you'll take a moment and click that subscribe button and also click the notifications bell so that you'll know when new things are posted. We're always putting new material up so that you can be a part of everything that's going on. We want to share those with you and we hope that they will encourage you and strengthen you in your faith as you watch. You can also find out more about Woodland Church by going to our website at woodland.church. You can find out all about us and also upcoming events. Again, thank you for joining us today.